one shot, now the future for sure. Let's go. Yeah, I was building on the lecture. Versus coming daily under pressure. Working on the plot and the scheme. The true stock trademark is at the edge of your dreams. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another Startup Fan Podcast. If you haven't already, please go on and leave us a review or write a comment because everything helps. As normal, I'm joined by Graham. So how are you getting on over in London? Warm. <laughs> warm. It's warm with you. Oh, it's a, it's a, actually, by the time this goes out, it may be less warm. Um, kind of given away that this isn't uh, this isn't recorded there and then, but yeah, seriously hot, thirty some thirty degrees right now, and it's going up to thirty three. Um, so I need to put on that factor fifty before I go, before I go outside, or I'll, I'll melt for sure. I wish I could say the same. It's actually been a little bit overcast and cloudy here the past couple of days, and you can actually I don't want to put a downer on it, but you can actually notice it getting darker. Yeah, no, I've been I've been seeing that when I open up the the weather app on my phone it tells you what time sunsets at and it's like half eight now or something you know but uh but roll on christmas <laughs> is it too early yeah yeah well look i, I don't know what the, the situation is the uk at the moment but here one or two places have gone back into lockdown like you've got offaly and in kildare who which have been affected again with, with covid um so one or two places have gone back down to lockdown and i was just thinking if this happens or if this is around uh christmas time if we do go back into lockdown or there's another burst in it then i don't know what people are going to do with the the dark weather the cold weather it's going to be annoying yeah i suppose there's two ways to look at it one it would be probably more depressing um if it's bad weather but then it may you'll have less people out and about right more people are going to stay home if it's raining so it might not last as long if there if there is a second wave but i i really hope there won't be but it's not looking just seeing what's coming out of other countries it's not looking all that uh, uh all that promising is it obviously our parts of ireland going into lockdown um somewhere in scotland w- went into lockdown this week um mm. so so yeah it's uh, not nothing about london yet but there's that eat out to help out there was 10 10. 10.5 million meals in the last week that people have yeah. people have ordered and that and then obviously you multiply that by by 10 pounds from the government and it's a it's a, it's a serious money they're pumping into 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 propping up the the economy and getting things going again so a, a second wave would be it wouldn't be ideal right and uh, once they're trying to get things going yeah but you know yourself once you open the gates and people come out people start mingling and as they even eat out to help out it's going to cause people to come together it's going to cause the spread of a little bit more especially if people aren't wearing masks and, and covering up as look as long as they are it, it's definitely going to help but people didn't tune in to to hear you and me shit on and moan so who was our guest on the show today the guest on the show this week, we've wanted to have him on for a really long time. It's Adnan from Car Throttle, or as we talk about in the podcast today, Adnan, formerly of Car Throttle, because he exited that business last year. But we spoke about everything in his journey from starting the business to 18 and starting it as a business, not a hobby from the very outset, growing, scaling that business and what it was like and what it felt like exiting the business and losing that identity, which he, he had obviously been so close to to the business, starting it from such a young age and really excited to have Adnan on the podcast. So let's get into it. Adnan, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We've uh, we've a hell of a lot to go through, right? It's it's uh, it's been a it's been a hell of a ride. Uh, excuse the pun, but 
I think we wanted to chat today about... I like the puns, Graham. I like the puns. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we, we wanted to chat about life before car throttle, right? Because obviously the car throttle stories is, is pretty well documented. But what was, what was life like for you before car throttle? I'm going to guess petrol head and take a stab in the dark and say you're into cars anyway. But business-wise, obviously you're, you're, you were quite young. But did you have that business mindset before car throttle? Yeah, I did actually. So, I mean, clearly petrol head, my cousin was a big, big petrol head. He used to come around to my house with uh, all kinds of crazy metal. I remember he, he, it was the first time I'd ever ridden in a Porsche 996 Turbo, which one of our friends had tuned up and it literally just like blew your face off when he <laughs> accelerated. It just felt like I was shifting dimensions. And that was, that kind of gave me the bug and then after that, um, I mean, my my car history is very lowly. I started with a one liter Toyota Yaris, so I really didn't have much wow. much <laughs> power, and it was a very uh, very simple uh, automotive start to the journey. But yeah, I, I've been doing bits and bobs online since I was sixteen. So I had a the first business was an eBay shop. I think a lot of people start on eBay buying and selling stuff. I had actually started at school buying and selling wristbands. And those wristbands I then discovered could be sold for like 10 times the amount on eBay. So yeah, I just started buying and selling stuff on eBay, thought I was a big electronics dealer, bought and sold a bunch of stuff there, got scammed, which I think I've, talk- I've spoken about before. But I, You got scammed? I got scammed, yeah. I, I was okay. 16 and I thought, you know what would be really good? Let me start buying and selling iPods, not really realizing that you can't just decide to buy and sell bulk iPods. Mm. Um without being approved approved wholesalers. So I bought what I thought were 20 iPod photos at the time. So there were no videos on iPods from this Indian guy off Alibaba. A month later, a box arrived at my house with these knockoff MP3 players and the guy just went missing. <laughs> and yeah, I just the, crying to my parents going, I've just lost two grand. What am I going to do? The the exact same, the literally nearly identical thing happened to me when I was, I think I was 16, 17, around the same age. And I went to order, I found iPhones on, on um, Alibaba. <laughs> I just thought, again, like you, I'm going to order these iPhones. Brilliant. And, uh, I, think, I, think we, I think we all have an eBay story then, yeah. don't we? Yeah, and, and I, sent, I sent, the, um, sent the money off. Obviously, they were like, you know, we want to go through PayPal or, or um, it wasn't even PayPal, it was Western Union. Western Union, um, yeah. Yeah, sent the Western Union. And then six weeks went by and nothing and the guy disappeared. And I was like, well, there's, there's the money gone. Forget about it. And then my mom rings me and she said, there's a, there's a, like a letter here from the post office. There's a package. I was like, no way. And I ran into this big box and I couldn't have been more excited because I was thinking of the catch. And I ran down and I opened it up and it was fake Bose headphones. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> but you know what I never figured out? And I don't know if you did. Why did they bother sending anything? <laughs> yeah, no yeah. They could have easily, they, they've clearly lost money on the courier as a start. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, maybe there was some loot because they were an Alibaba preferred seller. And that, do you know what? There's a funny end to this story, which I'll tell you. I think there might be a loophole that they had to show proof of sending something. So they just right. decided to box together a bunch of bunch of rubbish. But but yeah. so fast forward five years and I get very lucky to get invited to, to Downing Street for a, a, a reception with the prime minister talking about tech. And guess who's there? Jack Ma from Alibaba is giving a speech. So after his speech, you know, I just thought, you know what, I'm never going to get this chance ever again. Probably never going to meet the guy. <clears throat> I went up to him and I said, oh, really nice to meet you, Jack. I just have one bone to pick. And he goes, well, what's that? And I said, well, back in 2009, um, one of your preferred sellers scammed me out of £2,000. So I'm here to pick up my money. 
he just looked at me really shocked just go who is this random crazy dude and then why is he asking me for money and then I explained to him the story and he laughed a bit and that was that was that was me basically finishing off that crazy circular story with Jack Ma which was amazing did you did you get your money back <laughs> did he write you a check there and then yeah he pulled out some 50s and started just printing that <laughs> he just yeah. Threw- <laughs> yeah yeah paid some guy two grand to get rid of you yeah that, that probably would be more likely so I didn't press the issue any further <laughs> it's it's funny actually how like if you think about it, everyone tried something at one stage online like even myself like I remember there was this course online that you bought a book and with the book you got something like eight cds that explained how to become uh, an ebay millionaire <laughs> and of, of course i bought it for for a hundred a hundred pounds or sorry a hundred yeah a hundred euros hundred pounds time can't remember what it was but that's obviously how he made money you know um but i went on to actually sell makeup believe it or not oh, no, on, hey, on ebay yeah and, and the original kylie jenner <laughs> yeah, well, there, there you go, you know, but um, yeah, so like, it, it's funny where everyone just comes with something like that. So my, myself and Graham, it's funny because we actually spoke last week to um, our guest that we had in the show, who was Brian from from Green Pal. Mm. And we were talking to him how much we hate the lemonade uh, stand story. But if you think about it, we all have one. So we hate our own stories there, basically. Yeah, I think everyone has that. It's the digital lemonade stand, right? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, right? So so leading on to, to the, the first days of car throttle, was this a thing that you said, right, I'm after being scammed out of two grand and I've a lot of knockoff iPod. I actually broke even on those fake Bose headphones, by the way, I didn't lose money. But, um, but, but, but with that, did you look and say, right, car throttle? And did you look at like future revenue models? Because it, it's obviously, it's, you know, something like car throttle, it's not something you're going to make money off week one, right? Um. Was it a pure hobbyist thing or did you think, right, this is going to make me, this is going to make me cash? No, I, I did look at it as a business and, and just to fill in the gap. So prior to car throttle, after I got scammed, I made this vow with myself never to spend money to make money. Something only a stupid 16 year old would say, also a broke 16 year old would say, <laughs> I'm not going to invest much in the next big thing. And, and naturally that led me to the world of blogging because you could get started on a .blogspot.com domain name with free hosting content is free, but you could actually make money selling ads. So I started to subscribe to these bloggers, people like Darren Rouse, pro blogger, who were basically making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, creating content, writing content and distributing it to an audience. So my first kind of blog was called blogtrepreneur.com. And similar to your kind of selling eBooks about eBooks story, um, I was basically writing about my journey as an internet marketer. So all of the mistakes I was making, how I was trying to build the business, how I was growing my RSS subscribers. And I think we got up to something like 100,000 uniques a month. So it was oh, wow. pretty significant. And that was making me a couple of grand a month in, in ad sales, which I was doing all myself, selling text links, selling display ads, selling sponsored posts. And this was back in 2008, 2009. So just prior to the explosion in, in content. And in the end, that business got acquired by a company called Young Entrepreneur Inc., who are a big owner of lots of different forums and websites. And that was just before my 18th birthday. So going into Car Throttle, I knew I loved cars. I knew that there was an opportunity to make money in the content space. And so it was a bit of both. I think I realized that there was an opportunity, but I didn't really realize what the scale of the opportunity would be until I graduated and thought, right, how do I supersize this business? Because prior to that, it was a kind of part-time, 
I was hiring writers, making some money off display ads and off um, of sponsored posts, but it wasn't scalable in that tech sense. Mm. And and with with Car Throttle, obviously you can give you know in the early days opinion pieces on you know a new car model that's coming out or car models being discontinued or a new brand altogether or a new type of engine whatever it might be getting access to these cars obviously you know running car throttle at at, at 18 how did that work you know with PR companies from car brands did, did that happen in the early days or did that take time oh man that was a nightmare so it, really? it took a long time um Every time I would say, firstly, I didn't know how the industry worked. So it took a while to figure out that each manufacturer has a press fleet. And this press fleet will comprise of a number of different um, versions of models that they have mm. that they loan out to press that they can drive for a week or sometimes up to six months or even a year to basically evaluate a car. But in order to do that, you need to have a presence and you need to show that there's an audience of potential buyers on the other end of your opinion pieces. So I would contact BMW, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, just via email, and I'd get the same response. Look, you're a young person, your, your website's new, this social media stuff, we don't think the audience for our cars is there. And some were tactful about it, some were pretty blunt about saying, look, our buyers will never be on social media. And I still have those emails. Really? Sorry, what, what, year, what year was that? This was 2010, 2010, 2011. And they would say, well, we don't believe social media is a thing. This, this Facebook traffic that you have and this, this young generation are never going to buy our cars. And I would always say, well, they might not buy your cars now, but in 10 years' time when you've proven to be a, a trusted manufacturer, then they will buy your cars. But clearly, most people don't think in 10-year horizons. Very so excited it, from that. It was a long slog. Yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. We, we didn't get any cars until just before I graduated, I got an email from Volvo. And Volvo said, hey, do you want to come and drive some cars? And we're not going to send them to your house. You can just come to us. There'll be about 15, 20 other members of the press there. And you can drive some cars and do what you want with them. And that was our first breakthrough. Wow. So when, you're a big when... fan of Volvo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, Volvo have some great vehicles and they've got a very good reputation online. But I was driving a Volvo V60. It was an estate. It was like the least millennial friendly car you could imagine as my first video. When did you realize that you were actually onto something big here? It was probably, so I graduated 2011. I, I had released a couple of videos based on like the Volvo press trip. But then the first manufacturer to lend me a car, so to drop it off at my house, was Mitsubishi. And I must have badgered my way to the, and, and I still remember uh, the ladies who gave me the car, and I'm very thankful that they took a chance. But I must have just pestered them to a point where they were like, this kid needs to go away. Let's just give him a car and shut him up. Mm. They sent a car to my house, fully fueled, insured for the week. And I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Coming from a one liter Toyota Yaris to a, it was a Colt Rally Art. It was a 1.5 liter turbocharged hot hat, warm hatch, not even a hot hatch. Uh, but it was like the fastest thing I had ever driven. So I would yeah. be on, over, like beyond myself with excitement. We shot two videos the first video did something like a hundred thousand views on youtube within the first couple of months wow second video the same so then i just thought okay there's there's clearly something here i don't know what it is maybe it's just the fact that there aren't many videos on youtube of cars or we're doing it in a different way but that was the first taste of some level of success and youtube youtube revenue wise how much of a at the time obviously it's quite different than youtube revenue now was that a right okay video content is the is what we have to do 
it, it, with YouTube revenue, it's it's hard to really make decent money unless you're doing millions and tens of millions of views. So even though the videos were getting 100,000 views in the month, maybe I was doing a couple of hundred thousand views, which is basically a couple of hundred dollars. Yeah. So I always knew that that was going to be a, a, a longer, harder slog versus selling sponsored campaigns, for example, which would yeah. be harder to do, but give you that initial lump sum. So branded content and bearing in mind the branded content business didn't exist when we started. It was still very display heavy. Mm. So not only were we trying to generate content for a new audience in a different way, we were also selling a brand new product into an industry that is, you know, hundreds of years old, very established and by the agency market, very, very difficult to break into. How much of of your success do you put down to to doing what you love? Because if you think about it, like it's it's not too dissimilar to what myself and Graham do. Mm. Only ours would probably be a lot more of a niche market when it comes to entrepreneurship, and obviously car enthusiasts is a lot bigger and and and, and worldwide and the whole lot. But how much do you put down to, you know, like you, you're obviously you know a big car head. Um, and you just put video and cars together and really just started pushing it online because, you know, I, I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs realize you, you see the ones out there that are trying to make a quick book and they go and they do something. It doesn't work. So they, they quickly change, do something else. And then you see some that are out there that are like, I'm doing this, this because it's a passion. It's something I love. And then money follows, because even if you look at some of the stats, they say that some of the some of the the entrepreneurs of this generation now are hiring more people and are making more money because money comes second and changing uh, the planet and changing an industry comes first. So they're really accelerating there where uh, entrepreneurs before their generation would have been more concentrated on making money, making money, making money. So with yours, as I said, you, you said it was a business from the very beginning, but you also got to do what you loved. Yeah. And, and to be honest, you're bang on. I think that in order to have the longevity and, you know, waking up every morning with a hard day ahead of you, what gets you through is the fact that actually we have ultimately we're having fun with cars and ask any teenage boy if they could think of a better job where you basically go and have to shoot a video with a flashy car that someone's given you and you have to make videos about cars. And you have to write about cars it's it's a dream it's a dream job um and because we were all big car fanatics and to be honest i was probably one of the least because we had some insane petrol heads in our office with insane amounts of knowledge about the industry we all just lo- jo- uh, uh, laughed and joked about cars the whole day and that's what enabled us to keep going for to be honest seven years it, since we got funding in 2012 to since we got acquired at seven years and it, it tends to be the same. It's always a seven year journey or, or you hear it a lot from founders. It's seven or eight years before from start to, to, to finish in, in venture backed startup cases. So I think it's vital. If you don't have passion for your space, like you guys, you have a, you're, you're passionate about talking to people and finding out their stories. It's very hard to keep going and doing it for the money. The money is very rarely going to come to you in day one, very, very rarely. So you have to do it for a greater purpose and our purpose was impacting as many people as we possibly could and I always set the goal personally of I want to make a billion people happy that was my goal we'll get on to the to the investment the first round of funding in a little bit but when it comes to to creating successful online content whether that's 
writing writing articles about about cars or, or, or making video content or whatever it might be the formula it doesn't there is no formula from what we've seen right and, and even in the car world we interviewed tge uh the the supercar youtuber and and he said that there's no no, he could film him driving a Formula One car around Monza, GoPros, drone footage, but then a video of him in a car park with a Suzuki Jimny gets more views. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, did you find that, that there's no right, we have a, you know, a Ferrari F12 today, this is going to kill it on views, but it doesn't always work like that, does it? Yeah, 100%. We used to say in the very early days, oh, okay, as soon as we, as soon as we get an a million view video, we're done because from there it's going to be a million views every single time. Mm. And then we said, well, as soon as we get a million subscribers, cause we got a video with a million views and nothing happened. <laughs> it was just like the same old stuff again. And then we said, well, as soon as we get a million subscribers, we're done because we've just killed it. And then a million subscribers came and went and nothing happened. And, and we got some insane opportunities that we thought this is going to be the biggest viral video in the world. And it did a hundred thousand views after two days. And we're there scratching our heads going, what what happened? So for example, two years ago, um, for Christmas, we decided to do this stunt video where we had, te- I think, 15 cars dressed up in Christmas tree lights, driving around central London and filming people's reactions. And we, when we were filming it, the reactions were insane. We would rock up to Oxford Circus. Every, like There were thousands of people with their phones out, cameras out, taking videos of us. And we thought, well, we're going to be on the front page of the news. This is going to be big stuff. And then it turns out that that video got a hundred thousand views and that was it. And we just thought, what, what, what happened? Yeah. And then we had a video of, um, a series called two guys, one car, slightly dodgy name. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we thought, well, this is just going to be a bit of a joke and a laugh. And Alex and Ethan came up with the concept and we published it. And one of the first videos, I think it was car guy versus non-car guy has something like 7 million views now. It's the most popular video that Car Throttle has. And it was all, it just came out as, a, it was like a joke. We, we never thought that it would be anything. And that spawned its own series. And we started talking to TV companies about having a, a TV series on, on television. So yeah, it, the, the greatest videos came out of the randomest, most random of places. Do you, do you think that that's because a lot of the time it relates to people a little bit more? Because I wanted to ask you, when it comes to, producing the videos that that you are making like you can you can do so much with an iphone now you know Mm. the quality of the camera on an iphone now is like is better than some of the cameras you were probably using back then and i suppose when it comes to being able to create content now do you think people get carried away with the with the special effects and and what you need and you know like if you think of like top gear used to use helicopters when they were doing the the flyover shots now they can use drones mm-hmm. you know so obviously the price of things have come right down meaning that everyone else can do it but do you still like what what way did you when what way did you like address the videos that you were making was everything like the the content is king and then the vi- the the production work comes second or was that a always something that you went, no, this has to be high or what way did you work it? Uh, I actually have the opinion that you you should have both because you're, you're, you're very right. You can get some iPhone videos that will be viral and you can shoot on an iPhone, edit basic, no effects, and they'll be viral. But then look at the volume of number of iPhone videos shot versus the ones that go viral. And you'll find that it's like 0.0001% of car iPhone videos go viral. But if you look at it on the other side of the market, which is high production, 
you'll have very few people capable of even doing high production. So therefore, you've automatically got a USP. And then if you can make a great viral content on top of it, now you're in the top 10% of videos in the world, whereas high production, which people love, people do like watching good quality stuff and a great storyline and great content. So whenever we would brainstorm and invest in content and invest in video producers, we didn't want to be the lower end of the market. We, we tried to stay away from vlogging. We didn't think vlogging was unique enough. And we thought that producing a show with proper camera angles, proper audio, proper editing was harder and therefore fewer people could do it. And therefore it gave us a differentiator in the market. When did you make the decision to, to look at getting funding for it? Because obviously subscribers were high, you know, getting, gaining serious traction, having fun at the same time. What was it? Was it to, to hire more staff or was it to get better equipment? What was the thinking about around raising the first round? Yeah, so that was, so 2012, I had been running the business for about a year bootstrapped still. It was doing okay. Um, we were making a bit of money. I was able to hire some freelance writers. The video production was difficult because it was expensive. Um, so I just, but but then on the other hand, I knew that this kind of top gear for the Facebook generation tagline, I just knew that it was possible. And I, I knew that you had to invest in video content. So I wanted to see whether I could sign up some investors to this crazy ass idea that some new kid could create the next Top Gear. Mm. Um, now, obviously, the new Top Gear doesn't and shouldn't look like anything like the last Top Gear because it's a different format, different type of distribution mechanism. Um, but I sent a cold email, something that everyone tells you you should never do. But I had no fundraising contacts, no experience. I didn't know any investors, had none in the family. So I sent a cold email to uh, Stefan Glenzer, one of the Passion Capital um, founding partners. And it was, it was just a, a short para- couple of paragraphs telling him why he should take notice of this random kid and what I was building and the vision. And within 15 minutes, he must have, I don't know, he must have been on the toilet looking at his phone. Coincidentally, as I emailed him, he replied and he said, come, come around for a coffee next week. So the next week I went to White Bear Yard met him for a coffee week after that i met the rest of the partners week after that i got a term sheet so passion moved really really quickly and i think i got funded in three weeks <laughs> which i wow. wish was wish was just as easy as it is um for, for people today but yeah it was it was just super simple super quick passion capital conviction invested in me and, and the idea and were instantly supportive are you able to say how much uh the, so the first round was a hundred thousand dollars so okay. it was not much at all for the size of investment they usually make. Mm. But we were we were kind of we were a gamble for them. We were, a, you know, a media company. They had never done media. We were content. We were cars. We were a lot of things that had never been done. So, yeah, I was just really grateful that passion who had my to be honest, I, I had always dreamt about getting invested by passion. Back then they had invested in Go Squared um, and a bunch of companies that I really respected. So, yeah, it was a dream to get a term sheet from them. And and what did you do with the hundred thousand? If you don't want me to ask, like was was that? Because I know you were putting it into video, but was that into the production end? Was it into reach? What was it? The first hire I made was Alex. So Alex, who's now the head of video, the lead presenter, he um, he was working at Auto Car Magazine, and we had met at a couple of these car launches, and we had had a chat, and it sounded like he was up for a bit of a challenge. And initially, I thought, okay, I'll just hire him as a writer. And as we started to chat, it just became clear he wanted to do something new. So the first bit of 
what I did with the money was essentially hire Alex and hire a full-time video producer. And that was all we needed. Um, we probably bought some yeah. equipment. We never paid for any distribution or reach ever. Um, we only ever started to pay towards the end when it was part of media deals to amplify content, but we never paid on Facebook. We were all organic. And that means that we had the highest engagement rates in the industry. Often we were like five times, 10 times, 20 times higher engagement than Top Gear who had 13 million fans. And we only had a couple of hundred thousand at the beginning. And then YouTube, we were just pumping YouTube content out. We did one video a week, went to two videos a week, eventually went to four videos a week. So yeah, it was just investment in, in staff, which led to investment in content. How long was the gap between that round of funding and, and the next race? The next race was passion as well, was it? Yeah, next race was passion and then a bunch of really cool angels. So we had uh, James Bromley, who's ex-Mail Online and Auto Trader. Um, we had um, Peter Reed, um, who's, I think, invested in City Mapper and a bunch of other really cool stuff. Um, and we basically, that was a year and a half. So in a year and a half's time, our metrics started to skyrocket. And I've still, I've still got those old decks and, you know, our growth was pure hockey stick. We went from 100,000 users a month to a million users a month, unique users a month. We went from zero, like a thousand YouTube subscribers to a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand Facebook fans to a million. Wow. We did an acquisition of a, fa- of a Facebook page to bring on the, the, the owner of that Facebook page, a guy called Gabor, who eventually became my COO. So, um, yeah, we were just really good at finding talent, to be honest, and hiring them and, and getting them excited about the vision. How did you grow it so fast? Was was any of that like paid marketing to, to help grow it or was it all organic as no, well? No, none. It was all organic. So, wow. So we were in That's the, some growth. Yeah, we were in the glory days of Facebook. I, I, wish, I wish more people could have seen what it was like. So what we did was... Um, this page, Car Memes, and the, the, the guy that ran it, we became friends with him and we basically said, look, um, why don't you post some of our links and in return, we'll scratch your back, help you grow your page. The first link that he posted got something like, I don't know, I think it was like 3,000 concurrent users. And at the time, we were only getting like 100 concurrents and it broke our servers. It was so much traffic wow. in a minute or two. And we were like, what on earth? What, what is this? So we did it again, broke our servers, had to keep upgrading, upgrading, upgrading to a point where I just said to Gabor, look, let's just acquire you and your page and let's just build what you've done, but on car throttle. And so we did. The, 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 mech- the mechanic was um, pages. So pages had just come out. And when you posted something on a page and if someone liked it, it would appear in all of their friends' news feeds, but like half or it was at the top. And if you posted some really funny memes, and this was before memes are now like common currency today. And there were memes about cars because people would like comment, find it funny. It would appear at the top of everyone else's friends feed. So yeah. we were getting like, I think the stat was 250 million people reached per week. Wow. From How things have changed now. You I know, know we had a similar thing when we, we when face as soon as Facebook live was released, like the, the day it was live, we went straight on and we, 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 shot a show and we actually faked we used a piece of software to fake it live we edited it and faked it live but to to have ev- given away our secrets friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry to everyone who's disappointed but but basically uh, straight away day one out live and the thing is facebook want to like pages facebook want to push that right they want people to see this flashy new facebook live mm-hmm. every single um follower everyone that followed the facebook page got notification startup fans live 
Yeah. You know, and obviously that gets watered down over time and they start to push it to less people. And, and, and now we are where we are with Facebook. But those when they release a new product like that, it's, it's gold. And, and there are there are cycles. So I once wrote about this, but every year Facebook had a cycle and we, we were not ashamed to say that we piggybacked on Facebook's growth themselves. Mm-hmm. So the first cycle was yeah. the link post and they used to bump up um, the link post within the feed because they wanted more people to go to more publishers so they could demonstrate value to publishers. So that's how we grew to a million users. And, and then, by the way, it carried on ballooning. So we got to like 7 million unique users. We were one of the highest trafficked car websites in the UK within half a year to a year. Um, and then they did videos. And now when videos released and when you could post a video on a Facebook wall, A, people weren't posting videos because now video is a bit harder to produce in the written article. And we, our expertise was videos. So suddenly we had a back catalog of hundreds of videos which we could chop up and shoot new videos on very quickly and we would post those videos and, and you know I would, I would remember posting a video refreshing thousand likes refreshing ten thousand likes refreshing a hundred thousand likes video views ten thousand a hundred thousand two million ten million like those were the kind of numbers we were getting to a point where by the time it was 2015 we were doing half a billion video views a month we wow, were wow. we were doing more video views than bbc news so it, it, we were like the seventh highest most viewed video property in the uk not even in cars just across everyone and the only other people above us were like lad bible uni lad um uh jungle creations mm. so we were like up there with everyone else except we were niched in automotive well, that's the it's thing. Ga- it's it's gas that we're talking about as as the good old days when it's not even that long ago. Yeah, um, yeah, three four years ago. But how how quickly things change, right? When when a new platform starts to wane, then Instagram starts popping off. And we we were actually late on Instagram. We we had a couple of hundred thousand followers, but just because we weren't pushing it very hard, and then then we decided to go all in on Instagram. Changed the, the structure, came up with a proper schedule of how to post, what to post content unique for Instagram. That was always our biggest sell to brands, which was we know how to make content native to those platforms. So on Instagram, everything is going to be suitable for watching in an Instagram environment, whether it's stories, um, whether it's live. And we would rinse and repeat that every single time. But of course, it means you're building on a platform. And when that platform changes their strategy, your business is affected. Mm, Of course, you're kind of at the mercy of of what they do. And I see a lot of uh, supercar youtubers just converting over and doing a lot of tiktok stuff right it's just like right get on tiktok um take advantage of of its growth as well and again who knows what's going to happen with tiktok in 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 the short term and talking about splitting it between europe and the us and everything mm-hmm. but uh, so so this massive growth when did when was the third race so the third race was um end of 2015 beginning of 2016 so we we had a vision that Facebook is going to kill us, <laughs> how, how right we were. And this vision that we were over-reliant on the social platforms that had given us all of our growth, which was, again, correct. Our solution was to build our own platform. And we basically said to investors, look, imagine the world where we are the new forum for any automotive enthusiast built on our platform, built on our technology, built on our comment stack. We're almost like the Facebook for cars. Um, and then imagine if we could do that outside of cars. Imagine if we could do that in um, female fashion. Imagine if we could do it in gaming. And the vision was this company called Circle Six. So we raised off the back of that and we got to work building 
a platform where people could log in, upload content, they could write content, they could post photos, they could post videos. And over the course of a year, we spent building this along with the Car Throttle app. Um, we raised a million pounds, um, so $1.6 million. And yeah, we, we basically invested all of that in technology and it didn't work. Mm. And I think that was my first experience of a failure of some sort, which was the, the, the product just did not work. And every time we looked at monthly active users, daily active, weekly active, the retention was shocking. I mean, we would lose 90% of users after they had signed up. In 30 days, they didn't even use the product anymore. Wow. And, and really the reason was because we had built the Facebook for cars, but the Facebook for cars is just Facebook. The Instagram yeah. is, is still Instagram. Well, I, I suppose it's like when people say like the Facebook for, what if you're trying to be something that's already successful and like it's, it's something that we in the past, Graham had even struggled with a little bit as well ourselves because we were in the same sort of boat where, you know, like if Facebook just change, what happens to us, you know? So a lot of our stuff, as, as Graham said at the beginning, was was Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved it to YouTube and we used the likes of Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram to push everyone to YouTube. And at one stage, we were even putting it on our website. But it's so hard to try and get people to, especially to jump from the likes of Facebook, if you're going to put up like a, a 10 second clip or a, or a 60 second clip on the likes of Facebook and Instagram, and you expect them to leave there to come to your website mm. like it's so difficult to do yeah and i think he, he, once you recognize that it, it's scary it makes you realize just how much power the platforms have because often they are the entry point into the web and this is becoming more of an issue now obviously with uh, with competition and antitrust that they have so much power and so much control they control your phone and they control the ecosystem on your phone they control the apps that you use and at what point does it become stifled and again, if you go back to the glory days of 2008, 2009, the web was a lot more open. It was all built around hyperlinks and you could link and link and link and you could delve into the deep corners of the web. And it was a much more level playing field. Today, mm. you don't have a big enough budget to boost and amplify and get in front of people. Um, you need to have a really killer content strategy to be able to penetrate and break through and so you see it a lot now with automotive youtubers who have struggled to grow their audiences because there's too much competition and the entry points is now like a single funnel so you're much less likely to see a youtuber in your feed because there are so many of them and you can't differentiate because you're all stuck on the same platform Mm, it's it's very hard to see a new supercar youtuber come through it's kind of the shmi 150 and seeing through glass and people that are in quite early um to the youtube game what was it like adnan coming up to end of 2016 because that's when drive tribe launched and yeah and for, for people who don't know drive tribe is jeremy clarkson richard hammond james may um backing it am i right they were the ones who who, who backed drive tribe yeah that's right so they were they were the found founders i think uh yeah they were the founding investors for sure of drive tribe um i got an early kind of indication that there was something going on so i got an email through to say that they were about to they had just raised and they were now quickly building a team um i think initially i was obviously 
as any founder would be slightly wary because they were the big names. Um, they were the people that we admired and respected. And you just know that they've got an unfair advantage and you always look for people that have an unfair advantage. Clearly, they knew everyone in the industry and they could appeal to any advertiser that they wanted to appeal to. Then when I found out about their strategy, I was less concerned because their strategy was essentially our strategy. So, And I knew that our strategy hadn't worked. So I knew that their strategy wasn't necessarily going to be the thing that worked initially. It was just then about how quickly they would find that out and how quickly they would pivot into something else. Mm, and I think at the time it was the, you know, the motoring social network, right? They wanted to be, as you say, you know, same as your strategy, they want to be the Facebook for motoring. And you see over the past couple of years, obviously, they it's just YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. You know, they're not really going common. They're not pushing it as much as we, we are the social network for. It's more of a kind of a content house, isn't it? And, and the content's just housed on on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, it's it's a, it's the same conclusion that we drew, which was to be a successful media brand, you have to go where the audience is. You can't force the audience to go where they don't want to go and they don't want to click outside of the platforms. So you have to go to, with a cross-platform strategy, which means you have to be on Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. And then, of course, if you've got Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond and James May on YouTube, you're going to start trending and you're going to start getting views. But... You know, that's, is is that enough to take the market? Is it enough to? Are you, are you pushing the market in a different direction? And that's where the winner takes all. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I don't know the ins and outs of their business. I don't know the ins and outs of their business financially. But just from the outside, um, and based on how much money they raised and the valuations that they raised at, I'd be surprised if um, if they were kind of in the billion dollar valuation territory which is ultimately where all of us want to end up yeah it's always funny though isn't it how things work out like you you would have thought that them coming from from where they were with you know obviously starting with top gear and then moving on to uh, the grand tour and then and then starting that that you would think that it would automatically work that it's just the next step but things don't always work out the way the way you expect it to sure they don't like as in like you you might have some big youtuber that if you gave them their own tv channel doesn't mean that it's going to be an automatic success because people you know their engagement and their their reactions and the way they use the the different platforms like like people use youtube differently the way they'd use tv and i wonder like if, if that has a massive effect on it but people come in thinking we're successful here we're automatically going to be successful over here hello viewers that was me having a quick look to see how they're getting on. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you weren't even listening to anything I was saying there. Great. <laughs> ah, brilliant. No, yeah. I, I was. And, and to be honest, it, you're right. It is, it, ultimately, it is funny how things happen and how things work. And the portability, that, that point about portability is very, very true. Because I think I mentioned we tried to port over to TV. So we had chats with TV companies about how our YouTube show could make it onto TV. But there wasn't necessarily a good way of doing it. And we were very protective over the IP. Um, look, if, if, again, respect to, to any of our competitive brands, and initially we, we always thought it was a positive, they were driving awareness of social media. And because we were the best at social media, in fact, they were just driving awareness of us. And actually all of the press that came out about Drive Tribe often linked to us to say, well, they're, they're up against Car Throttle or Car Throttle currently sits in this space. So we just thought, great, well, they're driving awareness. 
clearly you do worry. I, I never spend much time looking at competition because I don't think it matters. But you, you come across them because you see them on YouTube trending or you'll see them at press launch events and you're always yeah. looking at what other people are doing. Um, but ultimately, I think they, they had the ability to really build a very, very big channel just mm. leveraging those three but they obviously had conflicts with their grand tour contracts initially they had differences in opinion over what they should be doing as a strategy now they're very front centered on, on using the talent yeah basically front the youtube channel which i think is the strategy that they they should have um and, and in the process they can start collecting ad revenues from from companies that want to spend but i think it, it still goes back to the same premise which is you know, is is this what they had envisioned? Is this big enough for them? Because mm. they've raised a lot of money to to only have a YouTube channel. Yeah. I agree with your with your point there on competition. You know, as in, look, competition is always important, right? But it's so important at the same time not to watch them, because mm. you know, like you you start going down the route of you look at what they're doing. Oh my God, they're doing something on trucks. We need to do something on trucks. Oh my God, they're doing something on buses. We need to do something on buses. And you end up going down a route that I always think that you're not genuine to yourself and where you started it and what you're doing and what your passion is and what your audience actually want, you know, because you're focusing on what the others are actually doing. Exactly. And I think it's always a mistake for an entrepreneur to look over the fence because you change your strategy on a whim based on someone else. And, and look, frankly, your strategy um, and your direction and the ability for you to form your team and push the team in a direction should have no bearing on what the competition is doing. If anything, you know, look, I'll be frank and honest, having another competitive brand like Drive Tribe, but it wasn't just Drive Tribe, there were a few of them, brought us closer together as a team. You know, we were, we were one against another brand all we were wanting to do was win. We were very aggressive in that sense. I think the, the, com- the company culture was about winning. And some people might see that as being destructive or too aggressive. Um, but really, we were a family that wanted to prove that we were the best. And what better way to show that than against the biggest names in the industry? Yeah, it's such. it makes perfect sense. Just, you know, obviously leading up to the exit, right and, and and signing the business can we talk a bit about that obviously if you can't talk about certain things that's that's all good but did was the decision made we you know we it's the right time to exit this business or or where you were approached it was a bit of both actually so we we have always been fielding approaches since i think 2015 2016 most of them tire kickers but obviously my job as the ceo is to always figure out if there's something there and you know it's my fiduciary responsibility to to maximize outcome right so yeah we we always had offers towards 2018 some of those offers became a bit more serious we started to explore those just to see if there was anything there but it turns out that there wasn't 2019 comes around and to be honest i think the decision was made myself and um and with the shareholders that now is, I think, a good time, more than any. The business is in good shape. Our revenues were increasing year on year. We didn't have some of the resources that we thought we needed to have to carry on scaling. I mean, notably sales. I think the sales industry for automotive is very cliquey and you need to know people to, to, to force the sell and you need to have trading contracts with agencies and we didn't really have trading contracts. 
Um, we also didn't have um, enough cash to really ambitiously carry on scaling. So we were kind of caught in this catch-22. Didn't have enough cash to carry on scaling. Couldn't really raise another round because media by that point was cooling off and just not very appealing. Um, people were realizing from BuzzFeed and Vice that the revenue models weren't going to be huge and weren't as scalable as they thought they were going to be. So, you know, we just had a conversation with the board and I sat down and I said, look, I think now's a good time. And they they backed it and they supported it and said, look, if you think it's the right time, we're 100% behind you. Go and look, go and explore. Um, go back to the people that had expressed interest. Talk to new people who, who where it might be a good fit and just see what the market thinks. And, and in doing so, we we got connected to Dennis Publishing, who um, who are you know very well known publishing company with industry heavyweight brands like Auto Express and Evo, and they they seem to understand. They got it. James Ty, the CEO, and Pete, Pete Wooton, the COO, they just got it. They they knew that we occupied a different space that they didn't have any audience in, and they just they they could see that the future was you know, that social media was a needed component of their strategy and their strategy was predominantly just print and website digital. They didn't have social. Um, So we fit the piece of that puzzle quite nicely. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about the the day that the deal was done and and what that was like for you? (laughs) Yeah, I remember really well. It was stressful, so stressful, man. I mean, the, the, the main document, which is the, this SPA is about 120 pages long. Plus on top of that, you have probably 10 other different agreements and legal letters and whatnot. So, and we had spent a month basically going through that diligently, negotiating, waiting, negotiating some more. And we would just, and we had still hadn't, we had, I think we had just announced it to the team. So there was that added pressure of, we need to make sure that this gets done. And then we had been booked to go to, go to the Dennis offices to be kind of shown off as their brand new acquisition. So basically in the space, like from three, from, from 1 PM, James, the CEO came to our office to talk to the staff and say, look, this is happening now. An hour later, I was in our lawyer's office having to sign the paperwork, making sure it was okay. An hour after that, I was back at Dennis's offices in front of all of their UK team, which I think was like two or 300 people or more actually it was global. So they had the video conference, so maybe five or 600 people basically everyone congratulating us and and saying we're so excited and it was just it's an emotional roller coaster i was shattered i mean it was just the best thing the hardest thing i've ever done the most stressful thing i've ever done but yeah it was something that i look back on quite fondly because yeah it was just a real real moment i think we're yet to uh, to have a founder on the podcast that when we ask that question turns around and goes do you know what guys it was a breeze um <laughs> it was so easy i went in i signed the paperwork uh, I popped the champagne and off I went. You know, everyone we seem to have talked to about, you know, the 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 deal signing stage and when they're and and that day is, oh my god, what could go wrong went wrong. Um, what I thought was stressful in the past was nothing. This was the most stressful day I've ever had. Something got delayed. There was a problem. You know, and it's it's just a mad story. Yeah, and I mean, there were so many things in that process that you know, looking back on, I'm very grateful for them. We, we had a great um, corporate finance team, um, business, uh, a company called Clarity and the partner there, Jonathan, who is just an absolute godsend. I mean, he became like one of my best mates. I was, I was on the phone to him 
probably 20 times a day. It was that much. I, I had the AirPods glued in and I had to keep switching between AirPods because they keep running out of battery. And I was just taking calls nonstop. And looking back on it, there were so many people that I had to juggle it. Not only keep running the business and making sure we were still performing, but our lawyers, our accountants, our financiers, tax consultants, their lawyers, their tax consultants, um, their accountants, their management team. Like There were like 10 parties involved in this. So I think that was why it was just so, so stressful because it was a juggling act and you're spinning all of these very expensive plates that might break at any time. So yeah, it was mad. It's interesting because a lot of people we speak to, and, and especially you started that company at such a young age, people's identity um, is often attached to the business they, they build. And and the identity, you know, the self-identity, uh, as in what you feel about yourself, but then the identity from other people, right? You're, you're saved in my phone as Adnan Carthrottle, right? <laughs> you're, not even, you're not even You're going to have to me. change that now, Graham, yeah. Yeah, no, of course. But but what did that... I've mean? got him changed as retired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that over Carthrottle. <laughs> yeah, but but you know what? So what did it feel like, obviously, st- stepping away? Was it a bit surreal? It, I'm, I'm not a... I'm, I've built this and, and I've kind of... I've now let it fly, right? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not really a part of it anymore. What, what does that feel like? That's a really good question. And that actually is like a key question because you're right. Since I was 21, I was always known as that car throttle guy. And suddenly I was part of a much bigger business. And yes, I was still the guy that started car throttle, but I was no longer the car throttle guy. Um, and it it was very weird. I'll be honest. It, it almost, I did feel like I lost my identity. Um, I did feel like I lost a part of who I was. Um, it's, it's hard. I've never really spoken about it before, but yeah, it was, it was, it was hard coming to grips with the fact that I wasn't the castle to CEO anymore. And it wasn't just like the ego component or it wasn't the power component. It was more just, what am I? Like, who am I without car throttle? Am I just some random dude? Who's just like an internet nerd? Am I just some random car person? Do I like, what will I be next? What, what, who is me in the future? So I think it, it took me a couple of months after the acquisition until we left the business. It was a very strange six months for me. I think, you know, there were a lot of socials and there were a lot of people I needed to meet within Dennis. And at the same time, I didn't really know what was going on. And it was hard. I, I found that very hard. And I think there's there's probably a lot of people that will listen to this and think, oh, boohoo, some guy sold his business and is crying about how how hard it was for him. <laughs> but but yeah it was hard it was it was a real shock to the system and i had to go through a period of kind of rediscovering who i was and actually i realized that i'm not car throttle i'm not my business the business was you know it was a function of me because i had molded it in a way that was similar to my own personality and that was the hardest part but then you know after i left and seeing it continue to grow and flourish i realized that that was a false way of looking at it and it was just in fact you know, my rose tinted glasses looking back and thinking, oh no, who am I without the business? Well, I'm still the same person. I just, I'm not the car throttle CEO and founder anymore. And not retired. We've been joking about being retired, but um, we really want to have you on the podcast to talk about your next thing when the time is right. And and a huge congratulations on car throttle. You've, you've built something and grew something that, that's absolutely incredible. And we appreciate your time today, Adnan, and we, we can't wait to have you on again. Yeah, thank you guys. Really appreciate it. It's been good to good to chat cathartic, as I'm sure most other entrepreneurs have probably said. But yeah, we'd love to chat more about the next thing, which we're now ramping up for. So back in business creation mode once more.
exciting Brilliant. can't wait to hear more about that one thank you guys yep good to chat and we'll uh, look forward to to chatting more in the very near future thanks so much take care thanks everyone so much for tuning in if you are listening to this on itunes please do leave a review because it really helps our rankings and also if you're listening to this on spotify please do share it with your friends make sure you subscribe and thank you so much for listening make sure you check out the next episode it's one on one shot.